At approximately 5.15 p.m. on May 10th in 1967, three boys ages 11, 13, and 14 explore a cave near their house in Mark Twain's hometown of Hannibal, Missouri. Brothers Billy Hogue, Joel Hogue, and friend Craig Dow are never seen again. Making the case go cold for over 50 years. Using the facts from 1967, we reopen the case for the Lost Boys of Hannibal. Riding along on a carousel Trying to catch up to you Riding along on a carousel Will I catch up to you? Horses chasing cause they're racing So Welcome back to the Lost Boys of Hannibal podcast. I'm your host, Frankie Cambaletta, and with me as always... Chris Ketters. Chris, how you doing? Hey, I'm doing pretty good. It's uh, like August already, for some reason. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Don't know where the year went, but uh, yeah, we're, we're moving along pretty well. And heck, we just passed our one-year anniversary. We did. July 29th was the first episode of the Lost Boys of Hannibal. Uh, it was a very... Great trip. I, I got to see Hannibal. I got to be there on the ground, and we toured the areas and the caves and saw all the places the boys went that day. And then uh, I look back at this year, and I don't remember the last time I was in Hannibal. I think it was closer to the first of the year. Um, and it's a strange reality for us, um, being how far we've come in just just a year. I think we're surpassing over 50,000 downloads. Um, it, it's, it's crazy how much publicity and PR we've gotten. We've had a national uh, communicator award that was given to us where we superseded a bunch of other major brands. Um, so the podcast in just one year has had a running start. And that's due to all the hard work that Chris has been doing with research and our team on our Slack channel that has continually helped us investigate stuff. And I think, Chris, you're going to mention something about a Help Wanted um, uh, for <laughs> the Lost Boys of Hannibal coming up soon. Uh, just because we yeah. don't want to ask money from people, right? We don't want to ask for funds. We'd rather people put in some sweat equity, as we say in the film business. Yeah, um, sweat, sweat equity is good. Um, we're looking for uh, certain things. You know, uh, Frank, we've kind of brought this up in a few episodes uh, before, but, you know, and you just brought it up a little bit ago. I've done doing a lot of research, and, and I'm pretty sure the ladies at the library know me by first name now. Um, so that tells you how much time I'm spending there. But there's so many questions that we don't have answers to yet, and there's a lot of, like, pinpoints. Like, there's certain, say, for example, there may be somebody that's listening that's on our discussion group that uh, has a, f- a relative that was there the day that the boys went missing. They were part of the part of the group of people watching the searchers search these areas and those are the kind of people that we're looking for so we're going to create what we call a help wanted list and like i said it's not going to be a help wanted as in we need your money kind of thing it's going to be help wanted as in do you know anybody that did xyz 
So be on the lookout for that. We're going to add that to the top of our discussion group list. Um, so we'll have it pinned there. So if you know somebody that uh, that is involved or meets one of these criteria, you can send us a private message or just make a post on that uh, on that discussion. Um, just let us find out, uh, give you the information about what we're looking for so you can help us move the investigation along. Yeah, I think it's a great plan and a great idea. And we've had some really great help uh, from our people. Like, uh, Jackie Myrick, we've mentioned a bunch of times on the show. Jackie's a good friend of mine, lives out in North Carolina and is an incredible investigator. Uh, Angela, I believe, has been really yep, running Angela, yep. the, yep, has been running the, the new new recruits, as we say, and, and the new fans of the page. And and me and Chris are always available to you guys. Uh, you guys, you can private you can private message us as well if you don't want to be on a thread or anything like that. If you have any information, you can also email us. And we don't do this enough because we're not we're not really like marketing money hungry people. Like I listen to these podcasts, Chris, and it's like spend all this money and send us stuff and <laughs> and buy some stickers and it's like we're really just trying to find three boys like i really wish that we could just keep it simple and and stay there um and i you know as we'll get into some of our reviews it's just a, it's a funny it's a funny haberdashery of people um but yeah we're we're totally we do have a patreon it's called the fluffle you can join it you can just go to patreon.com if you do want to donate to the show all that money goes to missing kids and helping us with gear not funding me and Chris's um, expenditures, like you know the mozzarella sticks. Did you get mozzarella sticks, by the way? Because you showed me you were heading in, <laughs> you were heading into the, the Martin Twain Brewery there, and I'm on a diet and I've, I've lost like you know my inner fat child, about 55 pounds worth. <laughs> but I, I was like, damn, I really want those mozzarella sticks in there, man. That was just the the best mod sticks, probably in the land. And so I'm sorry I had to take a fat break there, um, but they are my favorite. And if you haven't had them, you should really go to the Mark Twain Brewery, right? Yeah. And and get those mozzarella sticks and say, Frankie sent you. You're not going to get a discount. You're just going to be probably <laughs> as fat as I am. That's that's about, that's what you're getting. That's what your reward is. But they're so good, and, and I really gonna, miss their beer. It, yeah. And when you say Frankie brought them, or, or Frankie Frankie suggested them, they're going to be like, who's Frankie? Uh, exactly. You can fill them in on what the Lost Boys of Hannibal is. And yeah. <laughs> so they yeah. do that as well. Uh, but no, to answer your question, Frankie, I did not have mozzarella sticks. They, uh, their their sure. barbecue is amazing there. So brisket and pulled pork is what I had, and it was just great. So definitely, I, yeah. we give we, we you would think we would we get you know paychecks from from mark train brewery as much as we we mentioned them but we do not I so <laughs> i know but i can eat it i can eat it made right i've i've gotten so fond of made right which is basically the mark mark twain dinette has a made right inside and if you're not familiar with um and i'm just doing these plugs right now and if people want to advertise with us great donate to the fluffle and you'll get an advertisement there you go <laughs> but the mark twain <laughs> the, the mark twain dinette has a made right inside it now i've become in love with loose meat sandwiches is what they're called and i was a huge fan of the roseanne show and that was what they served at the diner that her and her sister worked at it was the loose beef sandwiches yep. and i always wanted one and then i found out that well made right that's what they do it's the loose meat sandwiches like are you kidding me i found them to be so outrageously good that where my daughter lives my daughter lives about a half hour from rolla rolla has a damn made right so i've been eating these made <laughs> rights and i ended up gaining a lot of weight so i had to take that weight off but man is there some good food in Hannibal and good beer in Hannibal? Um, yeah. And definitely. good root beer. And if you're not drinking alcohol, the Mark Twain Dinette has the most amazing root beer and root beer floats. So if yeah. you're in Hannibal right now or if you're passing through, you know, help local out. Right now, local restaurants and local 
shops need all the attention. And so why not be in Hannibal searching for lost boys, but also talking to people and starting a conversation about how they can be active and having our help want it now, Chris, and everything. And Yeah. Well, Frankie, I'll tell you, just two days ago, I was in downtown Hannibal, and I was actually searching for a book. uh, And so I went through all, like, there's four or five bookstores or or museum that has a gift shop, such and such. I was looking for a specific book, and, and... uh, they were all open. So all those businesses on the downtown, what they call Main Street, downtown Hannibal, they're open. Uh, there was tourists there. There wasn't a whole lot, um, which is surprising for this time of year, but not surprising because of what's going on in the world. Uh, so, right. again, you if you're looking for a trip, you know, like I mentioned, I think I mentioned on, I don't remember if it was the last podcast or on our, our Facebook Live, is that, you know, we usually go fly somewhere for our vacation every year. But this year, yeah. with everything going on, we're, we're road tripping it. So if you haven't been to Hannibal... Now's a great time to take a chance at that because uh, of, of exploring Hannibal and, and learning if you haven't been to the Hannibal area because it's a cool little town. There's a lot of cool stuff. You go take Mark Twain Cave, uh, tour Mark Twain Cave. You can check out the downtown, check Mark Twain's boyhood home, all that fun stuff. So there's our Hannibal plug for today. Um, yes. Yeah. <laughs> well, we need, we need it. I mean, like, you know, and if yeah. you want to feel safer, definitely wear your mask, definitely wear, you know, you know, wash your hands and all that stuff. I mean. I, I, I'm not one of those people that's like just not wearing a mask. I mean, if you feel safer doing that, then go ahead and do that. I, I don't think anybody's going to have a problem with that in Hannibal. I don't know what the situation is there, but if you feel safe doing that, then do that. But definitely get out there and, and try to have some kind of summer break and, and also get into the caves. I mean, you've listened enough now for two seasons about the cave experience. The last couple episodes with Julie Angel about this beautiful. So I know it's 90 degrees outside, not inside those caves. So it, it is a wonderful thing to do. Even if it, you're the day trip inside the cave that you were talking about, um, which could be a really cool experience as well. If that's something that you guys are into. Um, but yeah, I thought that it would be nice to kind of celebrate the town. That's been so amazing to us as a podcast and very welcoming and support from all the guys on the south side, the north side, the east side, the west side of Hannibal, all the gals and girls that have been supporting us. So we just wanted to say thank you and give you guys a couple shout outs and, you know, hopefully get some money into that town because today's episode, we're going to talk about some money being spent in Hannibal in 1967. So I thought it was a great segue, Chris, into after we get through our reviews and stuff and our Facebook pages and all the other stuff that we have going on, just to kind of give you guys um, this three last three jaunts with Julie Angel really kind of opened up the statistics. And one of our, our, if you want to read it, Chris, one of our newer reviews on iTunes was about the statistics. I think somebody really loves statistics more than you do. So <laughs> I find that hard to believe. Uh, Frankie, you mentioned three episodes. Uh, we had two of them that you heard here on the podcast, but then the third uh-huh. one, we had a about an hour discussion with uh, Julie on our Facebook Live uh, feed. So if you want to check that out and you don't have that, you don't have to be actually don't even have to be a member of Facebook. I think you can access it and, and, and watch that. But just, we had some very interesting information that we were able to find out um, that we added on. Not, not a whole lot that adds to the story, but I mean, we, we dug in a little bit more to the um to the smell a little bit more. Um, she also provided us with some really great information that she found. Um, so I definitely, definitely check that out if you get a chance, if you haven't done so already. I think we've had almost 500 people watch that since we, we recorded that. So definitely some people have been listening to it and watching it, but, uh, if you get a chance, uh, you can, you can check that out and see, see Frankie kind of doing his uh, stuttering attempts as we, we kind of lost connection yeah. with him quite a couple yeah, times. Yeah, I know. I've been, 
I've been trying to get this car ready for the Hannibal Car Show, so that's my excuse, and I think that's a good excuse. I would like to represent the 1969 yeah. Chevelle, which the search was still going on for a lot of people in 1969. A lot of questions were still unanswered. And so the 1969 Chevelle has been dubbed the Lost Boys car until we get a 1967 GTO, um, which, you know, maybe may, might be coming. <laughs> um, but, but for now, we're, yeah, we're trying to get that car ready for the, I think it's September 19th or the September 20th car show in Hannibal. If everything, it looks like everything's a go there. So we would definitely like to represent the Lost Boys of Hannibal with our one of our classic cars. I said that I'd probably bring three out, um, but just due to the circumstances of everything that's going on, I'm probably just gonna it's probably just gonna be me, and hopefully Chris will come out um, with the Chevelle. Yeah, uh, would would be a would be a fun thing. If not the Chevelle, we might bring out the '62 Catalina. So you'll get to have a little bit of fun yeah. and talk to us and meet and greet and stuff like that. So hopefully that's that's our plan at least. If that changes, I'll, I'll let you guys know via Facebook or on the show. So Chris, if you want to read the reviews, yeah, yeah, and, and Frankie, you're gonna to have to read the review about the about the. Um Statistics. I don't have that one in front of me. The one I do have is from Central Illinois EMS, and it says, has been hooked uh, since the first episode. Can't wait for the next air. Really enjoy following up on the podcast, reading all the posts on the discussion group as well. So thanks to Central EMS for that awesome review. And, and do you have that review in front of you by any chance? I am pulling it up right now. Um, I will say while you're pulling that up, we did have another one by Lisa Marie from Wisconsin, or actually her name is Lisa Marie from WI, which would mean Wisconsin. Uh, but she says, I got hooked on this podcast after it was recommended by another podcast. It hit home since I'm an archaeologist and used to work in St. Charles and St. Genevieve, Missouri on excavations. I love the science you bring in and the thorough research you do on every detail. Can't wait to hear more. That might have been the one you were mentioning now I think about it. Um, it's I love the statistics. Oh no, is, no, no is, I don't have that was is it. Is the name of the header. <laughs> oh, okay, yep, yeah, that's the one I like just that's read. The header okay. of the of the review. Yeah. <laughs> so thanks to Lisa and remember you can do that. We yeah. we're we're closing in on hundred down or hundred uh, reviews, which is really awesome. And uh we're running about almost ninety five percent, three stars or more. So we appreciate all those reviews. Make sure you get out there and do that too, because we're starting to crank up a little bit higher on the uh, on the charts on iTunes. But uh, those reviews definitely help. It. We, we didn't cheat like other podcasts. <laughs> if you look, and I, I oh my we, god, Frankie it's and I so talked terrible. about this. Yeah, we there's some podcasts that don't even have an episode issued yet, and they have like a thousand reviews, and it's yeah. like. All right, come on, play the game. <laughs> you know <laughs> it, it is, and it's like it's just one of these things that I love that Apple does. You know, they try to be this this company. But what I find so funny about that, Chris, is like, how are people? How are you giving a review, a, a, a reveal, and a review on two minute trailer that never made? Like some of these episodes never made. Like the podcast never made. And yeah. it's it's funny to me. So like we we talk about this and we field a lot of questions about support and monetary gain and all these different things. How you can support us is by leaving reviews on iTunes. I know that sounds crazy, but the more reviews we get, the more five stars we get and four stars that we get. And I like to play that because once again, it's playing the game. And, and so there are there are interesting reviews that we've gotten. And you know what? If you have great advice or great feedback and you think our show is worth a three and a half or a four, let us know. You know, like, let us know what we could do better. I don't think you need to damage our score, but you, like I said, we have open dialogue with our email, which is at info at lostboysahannibal.com. I'll throw that out there again. That's info at lostboysahannibal.com. You could just send us a private email. You can DM us on Facebook and give us feedback about what you want to hear, 
because um, sometimes, Chris, I, you know, it is social media, but sometimes people don't feel um, they, they don't like posting. They don't like putting their name out there on stuff. Mm-hmm. So if if you feel you feel more comfortable just um, DMing us, I mean, Angela will pick that up and tell us, or me and Chris will see it, and we'll definitely try to fit that in one of the schedules because this episode here today. I'm because I remember when Chad did our great interview and he mentioned that and we just keep giving um, <laughs> Chad Chad's, Douglas yeah. yeah doing some Chad Douglas some uh, just a little bit of uh, you know ruse you know rousing him a little bit because of that you know because we're into the weird Chris this is probably one of the weirder episodes because of all the stuff that's just like and if you're a guy like me I, I really don't like to believe in coincidence I, I find it very statistically unnerving that so many weird things are happening in 1967. Um, and I think you're going to get into some of these things that are happening right inside of Hannibal, um, looking at the money and looking at the structure, but really looking at the mayor, really looking at this question we keep getting about, you know, was somehow small town government politics involved? And so before we start the show, Chris, I'm going to ask for another help, helping hand with our audience. And I'm going to ask them what you're about to here today is a lot on Musgrove, correct, Chris? I mean, we're really talking about dissecting, you know, inside you know, the city of Hannibal. And based on our findings and what you're about to hear, I would like to know if anybody out there has any personal experience with um, Mayor Musgrove. Because um, yes. sometimes the personal side of business is very different from the personal side of uh, our relationship. So it would be great to see if those people out there, if they remember the Musgrove, it would be nice to kind of have some kind of like show. Because like I said, we've headed back to Hannibal. And as you can see, I think we've done a good job, Chris, of being back in Hannibal. Not only are we plugging the great restaurants there, but we're also talking about the boys' involvement because I'm going to keep going back to this. The boys were last seen at 5.15. And within a span of 15 minutes, they were gone forever. And so if they're there, they're not far. And it's just something they're right under our feet or under our noses or something to that effect. So with that, Chris, I'll I'll have you uh, lead off unless you had anything else. Well, no, I think that's you. That's perfectly put. Um, You know what I've done in the research. uh, I've gone through so many newspaper articles from the Hannibal Courier Post back in the 60s. And uh, and I'll explain some other areas that I've done some research in recently. But, you know, what you see in the paper in the 1960s is not necessarily a reflection of what is actually happening. So I think that's a great point you bring up, Frankie, about that, you know, if you have personal experiences with uh, Mayor Musgrove back in the time or you know him or, uh, you know, heard stories about him. Yeah, go to that. Go to that. We'll put that on that Help Wanted post uh, so that you can you can fill us in on that, because we'd be really curious to see some of those uh, stories that um that may not have been in the newspaper back in the 60s. But before we get into Musgrove specifically, I do want to step back just a minute and go into something that I found really interesting. And this goes what I was just mentioning with the other place I did some research and I had the opportunity and I'm so thankful that they let me do this, that I spent a few hours uh, this past week at the Hannibal City Hall and specifically in the clerk's office. And I got to thank uh, Ange- uh, Angelica Zerbonia for, uh, she's the city clerk, for letting me kind of peruse through the articles. I, I came to her and I said, hey, um, I am looking for your 1967-68 
are actually been 66, 67 city audits or city actuals. Um, and so she's like, we don't go back that far. The best we can do is I can sit you at a chair and you can go through all the meeting minutes. And I said, uh, yeah, so she gave me this huge book. I mean, you know, it's back in the day where everything was typed and this was a, a two foot long and a foot and a half wide book, uh, that I went through and it had all the meeting minutes from all the council meetings, uh, back in the sixties. And just to let you know, Hannibal City Council met twice a month. Uh, so the first meetings were about finances and what's going on. Then the second meeting of the month usually had to do more so with ordinances and changes to the to the laws in the city. But uh, what what I did find again, I, this you'll, as we go along this episode, there's a lot obviously in those meeting minutes about what Mayor Musgrove did back in those days. But there was something else interesting I found, and I showed this to Frankie, and actually I passed this along as well to the uh, to our buddy uh, Julie Angel, uh, because this was a discussion point from our last episode, and it had to do with the smell. And as you guys are well aware, the smell had to do with about 12 days or so after the boys went missing. Uh, there was a very pungent smell in the Murphy's Cave area, and uh, as you know, the... Uh, the coroner and the funeral director both said it's just a sewer smell but frankie you had an issue with you thought boy it'd be kind of hard for it to be a sewer smell right yeah chris i think that one of the big things and you know like i've said i've said this before um a hundred times so i'm not going to stay on it too long but you know if you have somebody that's working rescues that's pulling bodies from from creeks or finding bodies or discovering carcasses they're going to get very used to that smell. So um, this is an interesting find because, once again, it puts it back um, at the either-or. Now, I know you talked to Julie about this, right? Right. <clears throat> and me and her talked about it. And, she, and so to go into a little bit of detail about what exactly this is, uh, the city of Missouri received a letter on August 25th, 1967, explaining that the city was found in fault of letting raw sewage into Bear Creek. And as you know, Bear Creek is right next to Murphy's, Murphy's Cave. And um, so what we're looking at here is upwards of 700 homes, Frankie, were sending raw sewage into Bear Creek at the time the boys went missing. So let's put a little axe into our whole scenario of the sewer smell. It is completely possible that there would be a sewer smell coming from that area because of what the raw sewage was going into Bear Creek at. Wow. What a teeter-totter, man. You know? It's just like, well, we might. And then we, nope, it's sewage. Yep, maybe (laughs) not. (laughs) So it's like... Uh, yeah, this is uh, this is part of the hunt. But what it does, Chris, though, too, once again, it's that process of elimination. Um, so now we're saying that there is a possibility that there might have. Well, there's definitely a possibility that there was some uh, issues with uh, raw sewage in the area, which is documented in your in your beautiful session at the library where you spent countless hours reading minutes. So yeah. it, it all was worth it, Chris. Yeah, exactly. So so again, we're. We're not exactly sure if this has an effect. You know, the one question I would have was, did the sewer smell continue on? Was it was there other times when the sewer smell was prevalent that would would contribute to this idea of maybe it was the raw sewage coming from Bear, Bear Creek and not necessarily 
uh, the smell of decomposing bodies. So that's something that, again, not to put another another <laughs> uh, fork in the road, but with this information that we found, again, from August of 1967 uh, from the Missouri Water Pollution Board, uh, it states that, hey, the city of Hannibal was aware of this. They are not contradicting any of it. Um, so it's, uh, it's very interesting. And, of course, later on, the city had to take care of that. But, uh, yeah, it puts another axe into the whole idea of, um, of that smell. So we'll just leave that there for now until we find out more. But, uh, yeah, it's uh, kind of a nice little, uh, <clears throat> maybe not so nice little of a segue <laughs> for our uh, smell for the sewers. Yeah, I mean, it, it, once again, Chris, I mean, this is part of that due diligence that you've been doing being that you're only 20 minutes from Hannibal and the libraries are open and the city halls are open, I think that this is this is a good windfall for not only the podcast but also the documentary. Right. <clears throat> the other thing I do want to mention real quick too, Frankie, is that uh, in previous episodes we've talked about um, that we were going to talk about Tobin Construction Company too, but we got to backtrack a little bit on that uh, because, and I'll let you explain uh, why. This is just a, a Mayor Musgrove episode. Yeah, I think that Jay Tobin is going to take a little bit more time than we had anticipated. It, it, it seems like it's a very large rabbit hole. <clears throat> I think you're going to get into something that I find very... Once One of our first coincidences is the name Tobin, and a name that's very familiar in Hannibal, because there is a Tobin in Hannibal. So I think you'll talk a little bit about what you've stumbled across there. But yeah, the, the, the construction company definitely uh, caught some interesting uh, rabbit holes as far as trying to put this company together. And one of the main reasons, Chris, is that it's not around anymore. There is no legacy. So if you were to buy something, and, and it was bought by a, a place called Florence Construction Company, uh, which, to my knowledge and my phone call, is in Ohio, not, not Missouri. And what you find there is that people don't really hold on to records from 1967, nor would they because they bought the construction company. And more or less, they bought them because of their means, their contractors, their contracts, and the equipment that they might own outright as a construction company. So, you know, it's, it's a definitely it's an interesting, I, I think, to give this show justice on Jay Tobin, it's going to take more time. Uh, from all sides, because you can't just pick at it because it wasn't a local Missouri company, right? It wasn't something that we have like an arms arms reach to. You know, this thing was based out of Kansas City, then it flies to Ohio. They have hundreds of lawsuits still on the records today um, that might have been part of that sale of why they got out of business. So there's a lot of things that are circling around Jay Tobin um, that we have yet to reveal just because I don't think it's cohesive enough to make it an episode. It's kind of all over the place and we don't want to lose the audience. Right. And so that'll, that'll be coming up and, and there'll be some stuff on the Help Wanted post as well uh, about that coming up this week. So keep an eye out for that in our discussion groups, too, because there's a couple areas that we're still researching and we still need some help on getting those pieces together. But, uh, yeah, so that's a good overview. But let's I will t I will tell you, Chris, I will tell you, Chris, that I was on 
uh, face a Facebook page, and we were tagged on, and actually one of our listeners tagged us in it. It was a hometown Hannibal Facebook page. It's basically the people who live there or have lived in Hannibal. Very, very cool, sweet page. You know, it's talking about all these different things that happened, and one of the stories that was on there was in the 1960s, and I did catch wind of somebody in one of our discussion threads about the Lost Boys of Hannibal. I believe her dad worked for the construction company, so I've reached out to her. I have yet to hear anything, but it's that type of stuff that really helps us and 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 we talked about this before chris like you might not think that you have information but you actually do and you don't just you just don't realize it but if you know somebody that worked at that construction company if you have an inside track we definitely want to hear from you definitely want to hear from you absolutely so uh should we head on to the honorable harry musgrove the honorable harry musgrove yes was it from all accounts uh, from your research, man, let's let's hear what you have uh, to say about him. I know you spent a lot of time doing this stuff. Yeah, and again, I want to thank uh, Angelica Zarbonia, uh, city clerk for the city of Hannibal, for helping us out with a lot of these things. Uh, I do want to start out with uh, a bio of, of uh, Mr. Musgrove, and it came out of the, the newspaper because in 1963, he was running for mayor for the first time. So here's Harry's uh, bio to start with says that uh, Harry Musgrove, owner and operator of Musgrove's Drug Store on South Maiden since 1930. This candidate for mayor lives at 310 North 5th Street with his wife, Beatrice. Born in Pike County, Missouri, he came to Hannibal at an early age and was educated in the Hannibal Public Schools. Before buying the drug store, he worked in it from 1912. He is an elder of the First Christian Church and is active in the Masonic Lodge, including the Shrine Organization and the Lions. He is the president of the State Association for Vocational Rehabilitation and has been a member of the organization for many years. In this vein, an article written by Musgrove was recently published in the Association Journal. This is the first time he, he has been a candidate for political office. So that was back in 1963. So let's talk about the 63 election because it was a big one. There was a total of six candidates running for the office of mayor back in May of 1963. And uh, just, I don't, yeah, six candidates. Uh, So not to give you uh, too much of an overview, but uh, Jack Schroeder was the mayor previously and he was up for re-election and there were still five other opponents going up against uh, Mayor Schroeder uh, during this election. So uh, there must have been something pretty pivotal going on that made that many candidates happen but it's interesting frankie because the this election and actually future elections it always seemed like it came to a runoff and i don't know if it was a certain amount of um amount of votes that they needed to to be elected but on may 8th 1963 harry musgrove received 1863 votes the second place person was Clyde Tolson, who had been a mayor in the past. He had 976 votes. That was followed up by the incumbent, Mayor Jack Schroeder, with 818. And then you had Frank Hickman with 486, a guy by the name of Kramer with 313, and Forche with 153. So you had a runoff between Musgrove and Tolson, and the incumbent mayor didn't even make the runoff, which is very interesting. So we had Well, to run- Chris, oh, there's, uh, you know... Well, just for the, the the audience, I mean, some of the work that I do, I really can't go into. But my in my in my personal and private businesses, like I work for national security um, in the public sector. So, uh, one of the things I will tell you about the election business, which happens to be what I actually do, 
um, without getting into specifics. But the runoff is basically, it's a two-round system. It's a voting system uh, used to elect, basically, Chris, a single winner, uh, whereby if you only had, like, two candidates for the first round, continue to the second round where one candidate would win. So, you know, if you start with six, you're going to go to the top two, and then the top two will basically – it's kind of like playoffs. It's the best way I can describe. You can also have an instant uh, runoff voting, which I don't think happened, and that's basically based on the electoral system, so it wouldn't apply here. But it's a playoff system. Usually when you have that many candidates, you want to see now, all right, you're four lost. All right, it's now down to Musgrove and this other guy, right? So let's see where the tallies come in. So it's a really, it's a really strong part of um, election cycles, in my opinion, runoffs. It really gives you the guaranteed winner based on the consensus of, of the public, of the governing body, of the people living in the towns. So I do like runoff elections. And that's, that's a little tidbit. So good, good information. So, and, and interesting. I was just looking at this too. So, the runoff election was on May twenty first. So, it was about uh, about thirteen days down the road. May, Musgrove just dominated. He had eighty percent of the vote with three thousand eight hundred and thirty votes. The interesting thing is Clyde Tolson. You know, we mentioned he had nine hundred and seventy six in the first election. He only had nine hundred and fifty five in the runoff. So somehow he lost twenty one votes <laughs> between the regular election and the runoff election. So that was unfortunate for for Clyde but uh, an interesting little tidbit there is that he didn't hold on to his 976 votes from the original election so but that kind of gives you a round out of of Musgrove in 1963 was there incumbent was there an incumbent mayor that didn't want to run is that how this got up for election or is that just too much the incumbent mayor did run and he was he was third he got third in the voting so okay yeah, he okay. was the incumbent, and uh, Jack Schroeder was his name, and he did not even make it to the runoff. So Musgrove won in a Well, Schroeder, that's weird. Uh, well, yeah. Schroeder's pants cave. Ah, there you go. Another connection. Another ironic connection here. Another so. weird, another we- for the weird episode, because we like the weird. Go ahead. Yeah, well, I was actually going to... So Frankie <laughs> and I are doing this uh, through... through internet right now so it's he he can kind of see what i got going on my screen but it is interesting that if you do go back to the um to the article uh back in 1963 um hold on a second he uh it has a huge, huge front headline of Musgrove and Tolson make a runoff, and it's just really cool to see uh, the pictures from the Hannibal Courier post back in May of, of 63. So, uh, but yeah, uh, anyway, you get a chance. You ever bored and you want to go to the library and check that stuff out, definitely would check it out. But as we move on with Musgrove, he was reelected for two more terms. So he was reelected in 1965 and 1967. I didn't really dig into the election results for that, but it seemed like he didn't have very much of a problem with that. But what we really want to get into is specifically 1967. And Frankie, we have talked about this on the podcast multiple times. And I, 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 we may have misquoted, and I had to double check. Uh, but we had, I had in my mind $1.5 million spent uh, by the city of Hannibal. And, and originally I thought that was coming from the mayor, but uh, we were actually able to find a news article. That was not coming from the mayor. That was coming from William Karras saying that $1.5 million was spent. Uh, Frankie, do you ever remember there being a number that was given by Mayor Musgrove? I do not. I, I thought it was a half a million at one point, um, but I, I, I'd, I'd have to check the research that we have up until this point. Just I don't want to put out any, you know... 
misguided information. But I think that when you look at Karras' report, he's considering everything that he had to do versus what the city had to do. So I think there's there's two different. You're gonna. I think you're gonna come up with two different numbers, Um, and how and and how it's spent. You know. Because the mayor is right. looking at well, the city as a whole, Karis is looking at the assignment as a whole. So I think that you're you're kind of maybe that half million that Karis brings into it right. is from uh, Hannibal. Well, and so let me read this part of this article from the Hannibal Courier Post. It says Karis estimates that approximately 1.5 million dollars was spent in eight days search, including wages lost during the hunts by some 50 cavers, expenses of construction crews moving Highway 79 roadbed time. Our roadbeds, time lost in actual highway construction, which was interrupted Thursday morning, uh, in mountains of food and lodging. So that was that was what Karis was estimating. And again, we don't have an estimate of what uh, Musgrove was saying that the city spent. Uh, I will point out too, there was another article that said about twenty five thousand dollars was raised by the citizens of Hannibal to help with the cost. So I would assume a lot of that went to. I know that the mayor at one point in time said that they were going to pay for all the hotel rooms for all the searchers, and I'm sure a lot of that, a lot of that income that was raised in the funds, uh, was was used for that. And then of course the churches were really involved as well as they spent a lot of money uh, for food, uh, donating food, and, and preparing food for the searchers as well. So there's a lot. Of different a lot of different people involved with trying to cover those expenses but frankie i sent you this excel sheet because i was able to go through the minutes of the city council meetings and get their actual expenditures uh, during this time frame and uh i'll, I'll kind of overview it and then frankie can give me give me your thoughts on it okay but you know i went through and and we'll have this available on our discussion group as well but went through it and kind of looked at how much money was spent or like let's say administration costs and uh, police and fire department costs and how that the month of of june and the month of may was different than the average month and just to give you a quick overview it looks like um there was about uh, uh well in june actually actually it'd be may there was about a 1400 hundred dollar departure from what the actual average expenses were for the fire they spent fourteen thousand uh, dollars in payroll expenses for the fire department which is off the average of around um, I'm sorry, eleven thousand in in May and fourteen thousand in June, which is about a uh, little bit off of what the normal is. And then the police was the same way, where you saw nine thousand dollar expenditures uh, in May and thirteen thousand in June. And the average of both of those were around nine thousand each month. So you did see a little bit of a bump uh, in total. Just to let you guys know, uh, about sixteen thousand dollars was added on from what their averages were. Uh, for the city of Hannibal and just overtime and and working for the the police and fire department. But Frankie, you took a look at this. Is there anything that sticks out to you? Well, I have questions too. I think that like and once again, I think we've mentioned this before is is how we filled out the paperwork for Hannibal Police Department. And you know, I have a feeling that there might be a couple officers that listen to our show. Um, on there. And I, and I guess my question is if like, you know, you have all this overtime going in, you have all this kick up going in, but you don't have any reports following the boys or investigating the boys or any kind of things that they reported back to the station. So I, I guess part of me still believes that there are reports that were made, um, about the work that was done just based on overtime, uh, and, and how that facilitates into it. And I guess the other thing that when you look at it, 
and and you explained some of this to me as well but the the excel sheet uh the jumps and the funds and the construction funds and you know how the city was involved with the state's uh tearing up of that road right they they did donate to uh the construction fund and to possibly having a say in what was going on in their town i don't think the mayor is directed or directed at all into who they chose to do the construction. I don't think there's any proof to that unless you found something that I don't know. But I don't think this is a mayor decision. I think this was a state decision on why they chose J.A. Tobin. Now, for those of you that love me and love my heritage, I will tell you to watch the second season or second episode of Fear City on Netflix about construction. I'm just saying, you should take a look at it. (laughs) Um, so yeah, I think we'll dig a lot more into that section when we get into the Jay Tobin. I will tell you that the city of Hannibal did have some, some funds responsible for the construction of Highway 79, and that is reflected in their expenditures. Um, here it says Highway 79 Improvement Fund. It was only like $1,900 that they, they, they spent for that, but I believe the number was a higher. We'll dig into that a little bit more in the next episode for sure uh, when we get into Jay Tobin. So, yeah, I mean, Chris, that's definitely the, the, the rabbit hole that, I mean, like we explained earlier, that J.A. Tolvin is. It, it just needs, you know, it might be one or two shows. But th- just what you said right there about, you know, how the money works with construction in the state and getting all of that lined up to do that episode. So people are like, okay, well, the city had nothing really to do with it, but they had a little input on it. And so I think it's really going to come together. But that's definitely safe for the J.A. Tobin. But like I said, let's get back to Musgrove. I, I, I hate to derail you there. Sorry about that. But I okay. just thought I should mention a couple things. Uh, so let's actually – there's another interesting thing. There's actually two interesting things I want to bring up real quick. The one of them, uh, going back to the meeting minutes and going back to the um, stuff that was in there, the another interesting thing with the financials was was that at this time a new fire station, the central fire station, was being built in Hannibal, and it's still in existence today. It's really a neat little uh, fire station. It's pretty close to uh, Clemens Field, uh, where the minor league team they have uh, plays. It's right in that downtown area. So if you check it out, uh, make sure to take a look at it. It's pretty cool. A fire station, but there they did build a fire station, and it was going to be the central fire station, which was going to close a couple other of the fire stations around the area, including the south side fire station. And in the minutes, I did see later on in the year that uh, we mentioned this back uh, in the timeline, talking about when the boys went past the fire station and two firemen saw them when they were outside looking at something, and um, that fire station ended up closing the same year that the boys went missing. I don't have an exact date, but I'm going to say it's somewhere in July, August time frame, most likely. Um, but uh, Frankie, you're going to that coincidence thing that you talked about at the beginning of this episode. That was one of those big coincidences that the fire station that was primarily involved with finding the boys ends up closing a few months later after uh, the boys went missing. Yeah, it's just, once again, it's one of these, you know, how many things can we pile on top? You know, how many things can we pile on top that are, you know, I think that's that always that break, right? And we never talk paranormal on this show, right? But if you really break down that word, Chris, it's just abnormal. It's not normal behavior is what paranormal means. But, like, when you get into, like, the coincidence stuff, it just starts stacking. Like, okay, well, that's weird. Anybody that touched, okay, that's weird. Okay, that's weird. You know, and it's like, (laughs) but, you know, sometimes you can just kind of go through stuff. And I think that if you're really, 
Especially, too, you have a critical eye. You remind me a lot of myself when I was doing the Lemp documentary, right? You're so heavily involved in the research and really bringing it to life that you're definitely going to catch things that are going to be different because you've been over the material so many times. And when you keep looking at things is when you really find the stuff that you might have read over or breezed over or didn't pay attention to. And now suddenly things are starting to click. Things are starting to not make sense or they're making complete sense. And now you're stuck between that parallel of, well, is this normal or is it not normal? (laughs) So it's like, (laughs) that's kind of where you are right now, Chris. You're in this weird bog. Right. So the other thing I want to point out real quick, uh, before we move on with uh, kind of the the finishing of talking about Musgrove and and what happened to him in his political career, there was, uh, again, I went through everything from May of 67 all the way to i believe may of 69 in the minutes of the city council meetings this was the only mention that i ever found of the lost boys and it was in the june 6th meeting minutes now i'm gonna go ahead and read this to you just uh it's a real quick couple paragraphs here but i think it's pretty important sure Uh, the title title of it says search for the lost boys it says mayor musgrove acknowledged the presence of a large group of persons assembled in the council chambers to request the search of the three lost boys be continued Mrs. Mary Vinson addressed the council, stressing the fact that new evidence had been found in regard to the possible location of the boys. Mrs. Helen Dow, mother of one of the boys who requested the search, that the search continued. Mayor Musgrove informed the group that the city would continue to do everything within the possible, with everything possible, to find the boys. The mayor stated that the state would have to give permission to continue digging. On a motion of Councilman Sampson, seconded by Miller, the mayor was instructed to telephone the governor and request the governor to allow the state highway department to make the cut necessary to reach the second level. On a motion of Councilman Palmer, seconded by Joan, the council recessed so the mayor could place a telephone call to the governor. And then they reconvene here, and I'll read this paragraph real quick. It says, the council reconvened and the mayor informed the council that the message had been received, had been given to Sergeant Phillips who is connected with the governor's office. Sergeant Phillips stated the governor could not be contacted until morning. The governor would contact Mayor Musgrove between 8.30 and 9 a.m. on June 7, 1967. At this time, the mayor would be informed regarding the decision of the governor to give the state highway department permission to continue the search. And that is the only information in all the years of minutes about the Lost Boys. I don't know. It's it's a it's good, great research, Chris. I, I think that... <laughs> Man, talk about politics, huh? Like, Well, so let me give you a little background on this. What that was, this goes back to when Floyd Atwood was saying there's a lower level to Murphy's Cave and what we brought up in our last episode with uh, Julie Angel and that the city needed to get approval from the state to continue to do these expenditures that was going to cost the state more money to have to fix them to put the road to put high, to finish highway 79 so what the mayor was doing was he was contacting the mayor to try to get a, or the governor excuse me to try to get approval so that they could continue to dig in this area to see if there was a lower level to Murphy's Cave, which we know that they did go and do some of that digging, as it's reported in the Karras report. Um, so obviously the mayor or the governor did give approval to do that. But it's interesting to put all those pieces together. This was the actual um, official document, official uh, paperwork from the city of Hannibal saying, yeah, we contacted right. the contacted the governor's office and, and we'll hear back from him. So, yeah, I just found that pretty interesting. But again, at all the years, that was the only 
uh, piece of uh, actual written paper information that was available in the city council minutes. And, I, and I'm glad you bring this up, Chris, because it's it's a I was waiting for a time where you'd actually bring Miss Dow up, oh, Mrs. Dow uh, up, because she does go on later to state. And this is the reason why, because I've seen reviews, we read them all, and I've had personal, you know, in mails and stuff like that. And one of the things that comes up a lot, not even on our Facebook, but on other Facebooks, like the news stuff that we've done, is this whole idea of why serial killers are involved in the Lost Boys of Hannibal. And for the longest time, I didn't respond. But now I'm going to, because you triggered it. And... Mm -hmm. The reason why we went down the path of Hatcher and Gacy was not because of a book, okay? It was because of a mother's words. Mrs. Dow was quoted as saying they were never in the caves. That's why, okay? Because she believed at the very end of the search that she didn't believe that they were in the cave, that these kids weren't in the caves. And so... Any good researcher or investigator, armchair sleuth, or true crime detective is going to look at that and say, well, maybe she has a point. Maybe there's something to that, a mother's intuition. And so one of the reasons why we bridge these gaps inside doing an investigation is, A, to have a con convincing storyline of where the boys might be. And then, of course, B, where when you look at the mayor, okay, oh, it's the city politics, and we got we to gotta go down the hole. And, and thus far, what I'm reading right now it's very normal. What you're what you're saying seems very normal. They're they're it's business as usual. A tragedy has happened, but we have to perform at the cylinders that we know we can perform at to get through, right? Because life goes on. And how are we going to help the best we can? We do know that the governor stepped in, that they did give them some lead time, that the that the search did go into June. But then it ended. And it ended because of the money spent and they had no it was a cold path, which is the entire theme of this season. The case went cold. And it goes cold with the caves. It goes cold with the serial killers. And it goes cold with everything that we're trying to do. We think we get something with the smell. And guess what, Chris? The trail went cold again. Because now we hear that 700 homes are just dumping raw sewage into Bear Creek. So right. that's the thematic of the season is that this the, the case goes cold. And how do you warm that up? Well, you warm it up by the work that, that Chris is doing. You, you warm it up by the, the work that you're doing in the libraries and the city hall and saying, all right, there's got to be some kind of something here that we've missed that we've overlooked. And so what, what, some, what are some more of your findings, Chris, that we also find a little bit weird on the coincidence side, but also like, well, that makes sense. That's normal. So we have a well, full understanding of what's going on in the city of Hannibal. Yeah, well, and it's funny that you, you bring up the coincidences. Maybe it's it's not uh, so much that it's out of the ab... Well, I guess it would be a little abnormal. But we kind of move on as we get past the May and June time frame, and we kind of look into more of what happened in 1967 that affected Mayor Musgrove. And one of the things I came across, and we'll have a picture, which is a really neat picture uh, for you coming up that, that we found from the uh, Hannibal Courier Post's uh, archives, but uh, Lady Bird Johnson made a visit to Hannibal in September of 1967 and actually met with Mayor Musgrove. I believe she, well, I'll just to give you a background, she started in Quincy, uh, landed in Quincy, and then she took a riverboat, or actually it was a towboat from Quincy to Hannibal. 
and uh, the Great River Barbershop course sang, and she had lunch on the towboat as well. And then she arrived in Hannibal and, and toured Mark Twain Museum and uh, was greeted by the city and all that. But it's very ironic. Again, we're looking at all this stuff that's happened in 1967. All of a sudden, the First Lady is coming to Hannibal uh, for part of her tour of the country. Yeah, and like, of all the places. <laughs> you, you know, it, it's just this... And it is, and it's a small town, but it's also a wonderful town, and it, it holds a lot of, you know, one of the best writers of all time, the, the, write, the writer that set every kid's heart on fire. And, and I really hope that people that have not read Samuel Clemens' work or under Mark Twain, that they do, that they do pick up his writing, because it's one of the, some of the most creative stuff that you'll ever read. And it does make sense that Lady Bird, from a, from a small town, you know, perspective. Also, I'm sure she caught wind of Hannibal and what happened there. And it might have not been on her agenda. But you, you have to, one has to consider that she might have been very um, curious as to what kind of town, you know, these boys came from. And, and I'm not, I can't speak for her and I can't speak for what happened. But it, it is a very interesting thing that, that happens here in the 60s. And, and that year, 67, Chris, in general, it's a strange year all over you know all over the country um not just with the lost boys but think about everything else leading up to that you know well hey let me tell you this real quick frankie when i was doing my going through all the archives and it was around um it was more into 69 when i was looking up the the last election for uh, for mayor musgrove is that there was a, a hannibal courier post uh, newspaper and i don't remember the exact date i want to say it was probably in february or march of 69 but it was so surreal. It had three, there was three articles that stuck out to me. The top article at the top of the page, the front page said, Garrison not able to prove Clay's guilt. And so if you're familiar with uh, JFK and the assassination, that was a huge uh, trial going on in New Orleans. So you had that as your headline up at the top of the newspaper, yep. okay? On the left-hand yep. side, above that, it said something along the lines of, um, of, of it was so weird. It says Ray, Ray suggests conspiracy. Speaking of James <laughs> Earl Ray, yeah. The article below yeah. that says Sirhan shown by psychotics or shown by psychologists as being psychotic. You had all those stories going on in May of '69. It's just, it was. I yeah. was it's like, wow. <laughs> yeah, it's also. I mean, you have July twentieth, nineteen sixty-nine. We land on the moon. You, yeah. You, just this span of like three years, and, and and some of the best music, which I think we get a lot of praise for, the music selections that I choose as DJ Frankie, um, because I. I only listen to 60s music. I really do. It's the majority of my listens. And some of the best cars and best music came out of the 60s. And, and one of the things that we didn't point out earlier was a great comment um, about somebody that first listened to the episode of Lost Boys of Hannibal. And it was one of our episodes where we played the song uh, Never My Love. And she just like automatically was transposed back to the 60s and that's that's the kind of stuff here that when you're reading this stuff chris in the archives you know and and it's good to keep that world view right where you have 
um, an assassination coming up. You have people landing on the moon coming up. You have all these the space race and all the cars that are being designed are all very space race cars, right? They all have the, the aluminum and the metal inside it because it's, it's caught wind of it. You got Joey Hogue that's spotting UFOs outside his window and he wants to be an astronaut with his telescope. And you have this incredible sense of, of self. Meanwhile, you have like the Vietnam War going on. At the same time, like they have a sewage problem in Hannibal. So there are so many things happening at this close of the 60s that these people are just enveloped in, right? You have the protest, you have the Vietnam War, you have the assassination, you have landing on the moon. You know, you have all this great music coming in from England. And, and it's just a, it's a wonder ball of, of, of just basically distraction. Right. Mm -hmm. And then in the middle of that, there's this tiny town in the middle of USA where three boys go missing and they're up there with all the headlines. Yep. They're, they're part of that. They're, they're, they're part of one of the most formidable decades in our history, which is 60 to 69. It is the space race. It is huge. And this just shows you why this case is still important because with everything going on, we still had time to look for these boys. We still had reporters that were doing their jobs, that were reporting news that was important to people. And really getting these families out there and these workers out there and the National Guard and all these people trying to look for three boys. Well, what you're mentioning in this paper, right, is also going on. So right. the story in and of itself is fascinating. And it's... It's part of it. It's part of that legacy. And I think that one of the things that this podcast and I think what John Wingate was trying, has done, you know, anybody that's touched the story, uh, Chad Douglas, um, anybody that still brings it up, that still wants to bring it to the forefront, it's because of that. It, it, holds, it holds legacy. It holds a timeless part of our history that either needs to be fixed or it needs closure, Right. And I think that one of the first episodes we ever did, you talked about Lyndon B. Johnson, that you could do an entire podcast on Lyndon B. Johnson. Once again, <laughs> this is that same decade. This is that same part. So I just think it's fascinating that you're, you're in there and you're watching all these things kind of relate in this weird bundle of coincidence. Well, and I'll, you know, going back to those three stories I was telling you about, too, it's not to get off subject too much here, but um, it was it was surreal living. You almost when you go back into archives for newspapers, uh, it's almost like you're reliving the past, because when I came across those three articles, I, I, I kind of threw myself back into 1967, like thinking I was opening the newspaper for the first time and then reading these articles. It's just, you know. And I wonder if the people that were reading the newspaper when that came out in that day in 1967 were like just business as usual. Because we look back at those three articles today and those are three of the biggest articles of of the history of the United States in all reality. So, um, yeah, yeah, it's just, just surreal man. to go back to that. But anyway, I don't want to get off subject on that. But uh, again, I, maybe I, I should have. I was bad. I should have just went ahead and copied it. I didn't scan that in. But I next time I go back, I'm going to get those three articles because it was so interesting. Um, but I do want to move on because I know we're running a little tight on time. Is that um, we go back to the coincidences. And if you want to take anything away from this this episode of this podcast is that there's a lot of coincidences we've come across. And the second coincidence you kind of mentioned a little bit earlier, Frankie, has to do with another little snippet I found in a June of 60. 
68. Um, I believe it was 68. It may have been 69. I believe it was 69, actually, now I think about it. But it was in June of 69 that talks about... No, it would have been 68. My apologies. It would have been June of 68. Uh, it says, the headline says, Communication from Planning and Zoning Commission regarding Tobin property on West Bird Street traffic problem. Now, I'm not going to read the whole thing uh, because one of the big issues has to do with there's never a first name given. It's just Mr. Tobin in all the, the, the text of this little section. But it goes back, as you know, we've mentioned the word Tobin and the name Tobin before to do with our construction company. Now, all of a sudden, plop, as I turn a page, we come across Tobin Property, which is the same spelling as Tobin Construction. Um, I told, when I told Frankie this, I was like, well, that's a pretty, pretty weird coincidence. And Frankie's response was, what? There, there, there are no coincidences. I, I don't believe in coincidences. I believe that there's something there. There's a path there. And whether that path closes on us or it gives us more information as to where we start it or end it, um, I, I think that that's, I mean, I, I can't, we've talked about my last name, Chris. I can't do that. I can't go to another city and see my name and be like, oh, yeah, that's that's really weird. No, the person would be related to me. Um, when I look at this thing that you found on Tobin, it's like, that's interesting. I wonder if they had anything to do with it. And so that's some some of the reading and some of that help one it column, I guess, Chris. You know, was that Tobin from Hannibal connected to Tobin Construction? It's a good question. Yeah. Great question. Uh, one of the things I do need to do, I put it on my to-do list next time I go to the library, is look up the phone books for Tobin to see how many Tobins are actually in the city of Hannibal. Um, because if you want to put if you want to put a conspiracy theory concept on this, I think that might be a good approach, um, having to do with why the Tobin Construction Company got that construction bid in the first place. Was did did the Tobin Construction Company have some sort of connection uh, to the Hannibal area, which gave them the opportunity? I mean, I know that it's the Missouri Highway Commission that makes the decision on who gets approved for the bids for work. But is the, is there some other influence involved with that? I mean, it's or is it just completely, you know, just completely coincidences, as I said before. But um, so anyway, I just want to throw that out there, uh, Frankie. I don't know if you have anything more to add to that, but I mean that and like what other projects did Tobin do in in this area of Missouri? Right. And uh, all that's coming to you in the next episode. We should have ended with that one, Frankie. That would have probably been a good ending. Uh, <laughs> Uh, but we do have a few. But wait, yeah. there's more. Yeah, there We're an infomercial, more. Chris, but wait, there's more. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to go through these real quick. Uh, another interesting thing I found was, and this is another Help Wanted. You will see this on our Help Wanted uh, post, is that I did come across uh, recordings that the city council was um, given a restraining order. Uh, which prohibited and restrained the operation of the city-owned landfill in Rawls County, Missouri, until a hearing could be held, rulings made on a petition for injunction, which had been filed. So this is uh, this is in the same time frame, which made me wonder, uh, I'm not so much worried about them closing down a landfill as I am more curious about where that landfill was. So going to our Help Wanted, I'm curious if anybody remembers the landfill that Hannibal owned that was closed uh, sometime between 67 and 69, uh, please let us know because I'm curious to see exactly where that was at. Considering it was in Rawls County and it was a Hannibal-ran um, 
landfill, it could either be uh, closer to 61 if you're familiar with the Hannibal area. There's parts of Hannibal that is in Rawls County that's on Highway 61, or it could be on the south side of Hannibal. So if you know anything about that, uh, just, just pass that along. I just wanted to, to get that thrown out there. But going back to, to, Mary, to, to Harry Musgrove, uh, one of the things that we try looking for, and one of the things Frankie has been kind of kind of prodding at a little bit, is if there was any uh, political, you know, wrongdoing, for lack of a better term, or political, um, I don't know, espionage or whatever you want to call it, or if he was there was some sort of backdoor dealings, and, and I could never find anything. Again, you're not going to find a whole lot of that in the newspaper to begin with, but I did come across one little section. And it's not even that big of a deal, but it was a it, it was something that was brought up both in the council minutes and also in newspapers, and had to do with about the spring of '69, right before the '69 election. There was a huge debate among a couple council people who were ironically running for mayor that was talking about uh, Harry Musgrove making appointments prior to him being finished in office because in 1969 uh, Musgrove announced that he was not going to run again for re-election and that he was retiring from uh, politics and so it got really interesting that these two these two councilmen were arguing that this guy shouldn't that the guy shouldn't be making appointments and that he should be making appointments and one was for and one was against it was a real heated debate but out of all the six years and three terms of mayor harry musgrove this is the only thing i could find that would suggest that there was some sort of conflict uh and frankie you wanted to add to that i mean from all accounts, I, I think that that is a very um, normal thing uh, to do when you're leaving office. I think people start to assign certain things. Uh, presidents do this. We saw that with the Obama administration. We'll probably see that with Trump's administration. Um, if he loses the election in November, uh, you'll you'll start to see things that, that are appointed, the things that are, you know, they, they sometimes they go as far as, like, you know, moving people up the ranks and ladder. Happens in St. Louis a lot. Uh, I, I just think it's part of the, the responsibilities of the incoming mayor. Um, do you know that if Musgrove ran in '69 or was he just out? Well, let's get let's get into that. Uh, so I I talked uh, I went through a lot like pretty much all the newspapers from January of '69 to the election, which was held I believe April 2nd of '69. And there wasn't any mention. The only mention was a February article in 1969 that mentioned that six were running for mayor and also said the deadline to, to sign up was like March 1st or something like that. At that time, there was six people running for uh, mayor. And uh, I can go through them real quick. John Yancey and Russell Miller and Fred Heron, who were all current council members. Also, ironically, you remember a name by a guy by the name of Clyde Tolson. He was the one that lost to um, lost to Musgrove in that runoff election back in '63. Yeah. He was running again in '69. Uh, also, Richard Vaugh was a local businessman, and then Don Delaporta was a former police officer for the city of Hannibal, and he was running as well for the the council or for the for the mayor position. In that article, it says, and I quote, incumbent, Mary, or incumbent Mayor Harry Musgrove has made no commitment regarding the filing for re-election. And that was as of late February of 1969. Yeah, there you go. And then, 
So then, in uh, once you get to the election results, uh, and just to let you know, there was yet another runoff uh, between two of the councilmen. Yancey and Heron ran, did a runoff in 1969. Ended up that Fred Heron won that election. But in that article for the election coverage in April of 69, it is quoted as saying, three-time mayor Harry Musgrove announced his retirement from the office late in February, setting off a five-man scramble for the post. Uh, and I do want to point out real quick, it says five-man scramble. It does look like Richard Vaughn, the local businessman, did drop out of that 69 election. But to sum well, it all up, Harry Musgrove, three terms as mayor, elected uh, pretty decisively all three terms, and uh, leaves the office in 69. This was a guy that uh, I think this is a great episode. I think this is an episode that kind of ends any kind of involvement. Now, we still have that question out there. You remember, personal business is different from, you know, work business. But from all accounts, Musgrove served um, honorably and was loved to win three terms is, is pretty, pretty huge. That's a pretty big responsibility, but also shows a lot about camaraderie, about a town that got behind a mayor after a tragedy, uh, which went unsolved. Uh, which was the biggest news in 1967. And, you know, he decides to retire in 69 after three terms. So I, I think that for me, Chris, it's not even it's not even part of the conversation right now, unless something really drastic comes out about it. This guy was a business owner. He was a good mayor. He did the best he could. You know, he had that one little weird thing that went on with like kind of, you know, putting people in different places. But, you know, that's very normal in politics. I mean, maybe those people earned it, too. Maybe those people stood by him right. for 13 years and, and, and worked their butt off, you know. Small town politics, you know, you know, we see these movies like Roadhouse and all these different movies about, like, you know, the mayor runs the town. And, you know, it's, it's not Deadwood people, you know. It's, it's, it's very different, you know. It's just like, you know, I mean, it wasn't – it's because it's old doesn't mean that, you know, it's, like, you know, irrelevant, right. So I think that, like, this is a good episode because, all right, now we know – the politics as far as the mayor is concerned and the committee people were doing their due diligence and did the best they could once again. So where does it leave me and you? Well, it leaves us with another closed rabbit hole, another closed, um, another closed path. And it keeps leading us down. You know, it's still cold, but you know what, Chris, as we keep narrowing things, as we keep breaking and busting down the walls to keep getting through, we know where we've been. We know where we're headed. And where we're headed right now is into the construction, into J.A. Tobin, digging up and finding out exactly who these people were, how they won the bid, and what they did to get the bid, and who their employees were. And that's been an ongoing investigation by not only me and Chris, but our team. One of the things that I'm often, I'm often interviewed, and I love it. I, I love doing stuff about history. And one of my favorite interviews I ever did uh, was with a radio station. And they asked me why I loved history. And like, why do you spend all your time in a museum or in the archives? A lot like what Chris had went through in, for this episode. And I simply replied, when I was a kid, my favorite movie was Back to the Future. And if I gave you a time machine, wouldn't you want to go back in that time machine? And for me, that's what the archives are. It's a lot like what Chris said. You sit down there and you have to look at it from a different point of view. 
And now, the next episode, we're going to open up the newspaper pages to a construction company called J.A. Tobin. And us in the audience are going to take a trip down memory lane, but also in our own little time machine based on the archives of what it's going to tell us. What can history tell us about what happened to these boys? It's a never-ending storyline that's happening on this podcast and with you guys in the groups. So from all of us here at Lost Boys of Hannibal, I'm Frankie Campbell. I'm Chris Ketters. We'll be seeing you.